Well, Jesus did teach that the world will know we are his followers, his disciples, his people by the love that we have for one another. And the reason that we will have that love for each other is because the Lord has done a work on us. Indeed, the Christian life is a life of surrender. It's a life of relinquishing control. It's a privilege to have opportunity this past week to to sit down and to meet uh, with a family and to talk about what it means to follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Got to hear from children, a couple children, about their desire to follow Christ and what that means and that that means giving Christ control and desiring for Him to be Lord and, and leader of their lives. And what an, what an encouragement it is to, to hear children who want to follow Jesus Christ. To follow Jesus Christ is to recognize that He is who He says He is. That He is Lord, that He is the Son of God, that He is God in the flesh, that He is our Savior, and that He knows best. And we know that to be true as His people, as people who believe in the words of Scripture, but I wonder how often we really live like that is true in our own lives. Sure, we know in our heads that Jesus is Lord, that, that He is sovereign, that He knows best. Yet how often do we fail to follow Him and, and choose our own way? How often are we torn between following Him and, and following ourselves and our own pursuits, our own agendas? The words that Paul wrote to Christians living in first century Galatia hold true for Christians in every generation when he said, I have been crucified with Christ. In other words, Christians, Christians, we have been crucified with Christ and Paul said, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We know that Jesus is Lord. We know that he is king. We know that he is sovereign. We know that God knows best. Yet often we, like Jacob, find ourselves wrestling with God, torn between our way and in his way. And we're going to look at that story together this morning. So let me invite you to open up your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 32. Genesis chapter 32, as we continue tracing the life of this man whom God was fixing up to be used in, in his purposes. And God was preparing to, to fulfill the role of serving him and his plan, uh, his plan of redemption. So as you find your, your place there in Genesis chapter 32, let me invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. Genesis chapter 32, I'll begin reading in verse 22. Scripture reads, That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants and his eleven sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. 
Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Father, we pray that you would lead us now, guide us by your spirit as we seek to understand and to apply your word to our lives as your people. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. Well, I'm in that stage of life right now where I often find myself reading children's books and children's stories. Not so much, uh, I guess, for myself, but because I have young children. And I think sometimes we, we take these stories that we have read and heard uh, in our own childhood for granted. We, we forget how sort of off-the-wall and creative many, uh, many of these stories are because we're familiar with them. Every now and then, we read a story, and it's a story that you haven't heard, and you think, that's a really odd story. And in reading this story, most of us would probably admit that this is a bit of a strange story. Jacob encountering this man in the night and wrestling with this man in the night until morning. It's a short story, but nonetheless, it's a difficult story to understand, to interpret, and to apply to our lives as God's people today. We've been tracing the life of this character, Jacob, and Jacob has left Padan Aram in northern Mesopotamia after spending 20 years there working for Laban, his father-in-law, in order to have his two wives, Leah and Rachel, in order to gain a a wealthy amount of uh, livestock. He's been there 20 years, and now he is set out on his way back home to to the land of his his fathers. And he's on this journey, and he's preparing to meet his brother Esau for the first time in 20 years. You'll remember that Esau is is a mighty hunter, Scripture tells us. Esau, the last time, most likely, that Jacob spoke to Esau, Esau wanted to kill Jacob because Jacob had tricked their father out of giving Esau, the eldest son, the blessing and had blessed Jacob in his place. And so Jacob prepares to meet his brother Esau and he doesn't know how Esau is going to respond. So he sends some servants, some messengers on ahead to, in essence, scope things out to see uh, how Esau is going to treat him and to tell him that Jacob is coming in peace, that he's coming with great gifts for his, his Lord. He calls him Esau. Jacob assumes the role of servant, but Jacob's servants return to Jacob and tell him that Esau is coming and he's coming with, with 400 men. Jacob responds with fear. He responds praying to God and at the same time he attempts to buy his brother off. He sends these animals ahead, over 500 animals to appease his brother and divides his families into two camps, preparing for battle against his brother. And we read here at the beginning of this story that Jacob then sends them on across the stream and he's left alone. Now, different people throughout the centuries have speculated why Jacob was left behind alone. For example, John Calvin, the great reformer, 
stated on this passage that, that Jacob stayed behind because uh, Jacob, no doubt, wanted to spend some more time with the Lord. And his piety, he, he knew that he faced a, a difficult circumstance, so he needed to spend time alone in the quiet with the Lord. And that sounds like a reasonable explanation. I'm not sure I agree with it because at this juncture in Jacob's life, he's not exactly known for his piety. The truth is we really don't know why he stayed behind because the text doesn't tell us. But nevertheless, Jacob stayed behind and a man appears to him and wrestles with him through the night, ultimately to teach him a lesson. And that lesson is this, that self-sufficiency is incompatible with faith in God. Self-sufficiency is incompatible with faith in God. You see, up to this point in Jacob's life, Jacob had been waffling He'd been waffling between self-sufficiency and self-reliance and doing things his own way and his own pursuit, his own agenda, his own experience, his own strength, his own wisdom and and faith in God to lead him and to provide for him and to protect him and to fulfill his promises to him. So a natural question for us as people of faith today, what, what about us? Do we put more trust in our own experience, our own resources, our own strength, our own power, our own wisdom, or in the God that we serve, the sovereign Lord who created us and who sustains us and who who redeems us. How do you make decisions? How do you respond to to crises? How do you determine how you're going to spend your time and use your resources Do we consult God and express ultimate faith in Him or do we we often go about our own way? See, God does not want us to to live lives of selfish ambition or self-reliance, self-sufficiency. He wants us to trust in Him. He wants us to surrender to Him. He wants us to pursue His agenda. And the reality here in Genesis chapter 32 is that Jacob was, was aware of God's agenda. But at the same time, he often pursued his own agenda. And so God intervened. God interrupted in a dramatic way in order to teach Jacob a lesson. And the Lord may use extraordinary means to prepare the obstinate to serve him. We learn from Jacob's life here that the Lord may intervene. May intervene in the lives of his people in extraordinary ways in order to prepare them to serve him. Jacob was pursuing his own way, his own agenda, relying on his his own strength and at times expressing faith in God. And so God shows up to teach him a lesson. This unidentified man here we learn through the course of this story is is God or a representative of God. In fact, the prophet Hosea identifies this man with an angel from God, And he shows up in order to, to break Jacob's reliance on himself and ultimately to increase his faith and his dependence upon God. I think it's safe to say that this event, ultimately this crippling, this limp now that Jacob would have as a result of this event, served as a trial in his life. It was a trial that God used to prepare Jacob for, for what he had in store for him. It was a trial that God used to shape his faith, to mold his faith, to to correct the errors of his faith and to draw him into faithfulness to God. And church, likewise, as we journey through this life, we can expect trials. 
We can expect challenges. We can expect hardships. We can expect difficulties as God's people. And we can take comfort in knowing that that God uses those experiences, that God uses trials in our own lives in order to shape our faith and to mold our faith in Him. This certainly was true of other biblical characters as well. Like the Apostle Paul wrote to Christians living in first century Corinth about just such a trial, just such an experience in his own life. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 and following, Paul writes to, to Christians saying, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, or in order to keep me, Paul says, from thinking too much of myself, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul went on to write, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The reality is, church, that we are most fully aware of our own inadequacies and our dependence upon God, our need for God, we are are most prepared to be used by God. Most prepared to, to serve the Lord in a way that honors Him and recognizes and acknowledges His greatness. For God is a God who specializes in working through human weaknesses. In fact, James wrote to Christians telling us to consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Friends, self-sufficiency is incompatible with faith in God. And part of walking by faith in God is acknowledging our need for God, our dependence upon God, and the Lord blesses those who acknowledge their dependence upon Him. The Lord God of Scripture, the the one true God, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God that we are here today to worship and to hear from is a God who blesses those who acknowledge their dependence upon Him. To express biblical faith in, in God is to express our need for Him, our dependence upon Him. To recognize that apart from Him, we have nothing. Ultimately, nothing that we have received or accomplished or or earned has simply been on the basis of us. For apart from Him, we have nothing. Jacob was a man who had been given much. He had been entrusted with much. He had tremendous wealth now at this point in His journey, been given a lot by the Lord, gifted with many things. He'd been blessed by his father and now he wanted assurance from his God. He wanted assurance that that God was going to bless him and that God would be with him, that God would guide him and protect him and prepare him to be used in, in great ways for the Lord. So the Lord shows up and he gives him a new name, 
blesses him, gives him a new name, signifying a new, a new identity, a new status, a new position, a, a change of character. He's a new man as a result of, of this experience. And Church, like Jacob, we have been given much as well. We've been entrusted with, with much. God expects us to be faithful with what He has entrusted to us. Over the last couple of years, we've been fortunate to see some growth as a church that's led to an additional Sunday morning worship gathering. So we've continued to pursue local ministry and mission efforts and opportunities. We've worked to increase our global involvement in ministry and missions around, around the world. I encourage you folks to come to that launch next Sunday, that brief lunch, to hear about some of these opportunities and to pray, to pray for them and for those that will be involved in them. As a church, we've just finished a year. We finished 2015 with our highest annual budget, increase in our budget, greatest year of giving toward the budget that we've seen as, as a church. But we know that apart from Faithful dependence upon God. These measurements mean absolutely nothing. God calls us to faithfully follow after Him and to recognize that He is Lord and we are not. And and like Jacob, God is not interested in us getting sidetracked by our own individual or collective interests or agendas or ambitions. Rather, He desires us to seek His will and His way and to operate by faith in Him. Self-sufficiency is incompatible with faith in, in God. So here God shows up in Jacob's life and gives him a new name, a new identity. No longer would he be Jacob, characterized by selfish ambition and, and trickery. No, he would be Israel, one who was dependent upon the Lord. His life would be changed by a result of this encounter. He had a new nature, a new status, a a new identity, a new direction. And church, likewise, we as people of faith in God have been given a new status. We've been given a new identity. We've been given a new name as followers of Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and following, we read, but when the set time had fully come, In other words, at just the right time, when the set time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. We believers, new status, new identity, sons of of God. And because you are His sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son, Jesus, into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, So you're no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. First Peter chapter one, Peter is writing to believers. He says in verse three, praise be to the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth new identity, new status into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance, Peter writes, is kept in heaven for you, believers, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. 
Church, at just the right time, the Son of God left His rightful place on the throne of heaven and descended to earth, born in lowly circumstances, ultimately to to take the wrath and the judgment of a holy and perfect and just, just God against a sinful humanity by giving His life as a substitutionary sacrifice on the cross in your place and in my place so that we could be reconciled to God and enter into the family of God. Church, we've been given a new status, a new name in and through Jesus that we would have life through Him. Therefore, friends, those who have gone from death to life, those who've been saved by the grace of God as displayed to the gospel of Jesus Christ, let's be people who abide in Christ. Church, let's abide in Christ. Let's acknowledge our dependence upon Him, our need for Him, our love for Him. Let's be people who dwell on Christ, who continue in relationship with Christ, who pursue Christ in all that, that we do. You may remember Jesus teaching His disciples using the image of a, of a tree, a vine and branches to describe the importance of their relationship as His people with Him. Recorded in John chapter 15. In that chapter, verses 4 and 5, Jesus said, Remain in Me or abide in Me. Abide in Me as I also abide in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must abide in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me, Jesus said. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Church, self-sufficiency is incompatible with faith in, in God. May 2016 be a year in which we as people of faith known as Meadowbrook Baptist Church abide in Jesus Christ. May this be a year that, that we as a church and as people who make up this church family abide in Christ, that we dwell on Christ, that we commune with Christ. A renewed commitment to walking with Christ, as people who have been saved by the grace of God displayed through the gospel of Christ. In Genesis chapter 32, in this encounter that Jacob had with God, Jacob recognized that he too had been saved by God's grace. He recognized that he had only been spared because of God's grace. Verse 30, so Jacob called the place Peniel, saying it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Jacob had an encounter with God and he was a changed man. He had a, a new identity. There was no doubt in his mind that in this encounter that he had received grace from God and his faith was strengthened as a result. And the truth for us and for believers in every age is that recognition of God's grace strengthens one's faith. Recognition, realization that God has been gracious to us. He's been gracious to you. He's been gracious to me. And realization, recognition of His grace strengthens our faith in Him. Jacob left this experience a hurt man, a weakened man, a crippled man, yet a better man. He left this experience with less confidence in himself, but greater confidence in his God. He can now face his brother Esau, whom he 
was afraid of because he knew God was with him. Likewise, friends, when we encounter the grace of God, when we recognize God's grace in our lives, it ought to attack every ounce of pride in us, fueling us to to love God more fully and to increase our faith in Him. God has great plans and He invites us to be part of His plan. Invites us to participate in His agenda, but we will never accomplish what God has for us if we don't walk by faith in Him rather than in ourselves. Self-sufficiency is incompatible with faith in God. Church, I want you to know that I am, I am so thankful for this church. I am so thankful for Meadowbrook Baptist Church. and I believe that God is doing tremendous things in the lives of people known as Meadowbrook Baptist Church. And I believe that He is going to continue working in and through the people of this church for, for His glory. Believe that God is, is working. And my prayer for us as a church is that 2016 would be a year of renewed commitment to abiding in Christ and secondly of residing with His people. Let's abide in Christ and let's reside with His church. Let's reside with His church. The Word of God instructs, instructs us to, to that end. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 24 and 25 We're challenged and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. That is the day of of Christ's return. Paul is writing to Christians in Rome. He tells them in Romans chapter 12 what he's also told the church in Corinth. He says in verses 4 and 5, For just as each of us has one body, with many parts or many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. The truth is, in God's design, He doesn't leave His people alone, to walk with Him alone, to abide in Him alone, but He gives us each other. He gives us His, his church, and, and we need each other. And as members and participants of the same local expression of the body of Christ. We belong to each other. So let's reside in Christ together. Let's reside. Let's gather often as the people of God with the people of God in order to to sharpen one another, in order to worship together, in order to grow together as disciples of Christ, as our mission statement says. Let's make 2016 a year of abiding in Christ and residing with His people. And to that end, I want to leave you with two two challenges. Firstly, let's surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Let's surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have never repented of a life of independence and self-sufficiency and self-reliance and selfish pursuits and ambition and Turn to Jesus as Lord and Savior, then let me urge you to do so today. Surrender to Jesus Christ. Trust in Him for salvation and then follow after Him. And if you have surrendered to Him before, if you have given Him your life before, repented of your sin and trusted in Jesus for salvation, let me encourage you, church, to continue surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus Christ day after day after day. For we are prone to sinfulness. 
We are prone to forgetfulness. We are prone to wonder, as the hymn states. But let's surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ now and always. And then secondly and finally, as we follow Christ, as we pursue Christ, as we abide in Christ, let's invite others alongside us in the journey. Church, you're likely aware that there are many who at one time resided with the church, whether this one or another one, who are no longer. Many who once resided here at Meadowbrook Baptist Church and for a variety of reasons perhaps are, are no longer. Let me invite you to join me, to come alongside me in, in reaching out to those who once resided here but who do no longer. Friends, family, Sunday school teachers, neighbors, let's join together in abiding in Christ and inviting others to reside with the people of Christ. And if we do, I am convinced, church, that God will continue doing great things in the lives of His people known as Meadowbrook Baptist Church. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we give You praise this morning because You are a great God. You are a God who is worthy of our praise. You are a God who is worthy of our lives. You are a God who is worthy of our devotion. And you are a God who calls us to be your people. So, Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for a new status, for a new identity in and through Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would prod us, that you would encourage us, that you would lead us by your Spirit to be people who abide in Christ and people who reside with your people. Father, lead us to be faithful followers of you. Guide us now as we respond to your word, as we stand to declare your greatness and sing your praises. May you be glorified in us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen.